Yo, for the taste show, usually we would say a whole bunch of unnecessary stuff to be able to create some buffer and some padding, but we'll just get to the particular CJ and Bino. Salute to my co-host who is currently defending somebody from stealing an aluminum bat at his job out in Colorado. You know, it's the holiday season. Sometimes everybody can't afford the holiday <laughs> presents, you know, so they go in and get their steal on. Season two, Atlanta. He's still coaching baseball? He, he's coaching basketball. He's got the, the football team going and without giving his direct location since he handles a few dick sport goods stores. Got it. That, that's why he's trying to avoid somebody cool. selling something out of his shop. Cool. No. Uh, so salute to our guy not being on this episode this week. Festivus to everybody because this is a holiday season. And for me, this is a very important episode of For the Taste. So make sure that you at, at For the Taste Show, at Mr. Dunk4, at BK Norris 13. And a big shout out to our folks over here at the Las Vegas Podcast Studios over here near Chinatown. But don't come run up in here because he got the heater. Make sure that you don't get through that front door. Uh, I'm blessed to be able to have two good gentlemen one is a returning guest from our prior stop when we were making this show crack and getting them people over 21 different countries listening and he brought his brother along last time i saw him he had on a jerry curl <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. right, it was a mix of Easy e and Ice Cube. Hey, it worked out. Salute to our guy, old man Ashley, with Ashley to Ashley. See, I, I give free drops to all the family over here because, you know, we all share it. It's an incubator for talent and success. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen that are listening, it is the Brothers Bowman, and I think that would just go ahead and be the episode name as well. To my right, Mr. Marcus Bowman. To my left, Mr. Julian Bowman. Salute. Gentlemen, thank you for being on For the Taste. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for having Always us, man. Fun. Yes, indeed. So, you know, Julian, damn you right now because I'm going to go <laughs> to... Uh, Bokashi 69 we gonna run that name back yeah. <laughs> that, that infamous name top rated uh, top rated name so <laughs> Mr. Bowman since the last time we saw each other uh, I'm gonna get this one out the way real quick and then we're gonna go through a rundown of certain things alright um what the hell happened to all the coaches? Like, you know, we, we were supposed to have, like, some long-standing coaches in the building, and it seemed like y'all done just did a retread, re real quick. <laughs> hey, man, when you work in this industry, man, it's a lot of a lot of turnover, a lot of change that happens. And, obviously, I think since the last time we talked, got a new uh, football coach, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I think time we might have talked, we already had the new basketball coach. Yeah, he but had just signed on the, the dotted line. Yeah, so, you know, obviously some exciting things at UNLV and the athletic department, and we're excited about the future. Um, you know, our new football coach, he has a great name. Name is Marcus Arroyo. We're excited to work with him. He uh, comes from Oregon as the offensive coordinator. So looking forward to big things, man. But, you know, we continue to move forward and, you know, trying to win because uh, that's what we're in the, in the business of doing it. But we definitely want to do it the right way. So we're excited. We got to get you out to, out to a game come here this spring. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to it, especially since we got the new stadium. Um, that's finally going to be going up. have been seeing that thing, and that is something that I definitely want to talk about, not only with you, but just the big arena concept, those big stadiums, just what those kind of events are about, not only for the football in there, but more important to my ass is to the, the fight game that could be there. Just This, this yeah. is going to be a game changer yeah, in, will the, be. in the Valley when it mm -hmm. comes to combat sports. So now I'll just go ahead and bring your brother into it. I mean, Yeah, let's talk to him. Yeah. I was right. first, so. You know. If he here, <laughs> we know that. Might as well let him. All right, Ju. <laughs> reason why I'm going to turn this one over to you first and foremost is you are the big brother of the Brothers Bowman. Yeah. All right. So if you wouldn't mind, just give me just in 90 seconds or less a history of how y'all got to Las Vegas. Well, um, as far as now? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, basically, my brother, of course, got the job at UNLV a couple years ago. Um, so, you know, we basically wanted to make sure we can visit each other more often. He would always say it's funny. He was in Pittsburgh, which was, I don't know, at one point in time, an eight-hour drive away from me. Mm -hmm. I saw him less in Pittsburgh in 10 years than uh, I have in the last two years in Vegas. So. Yeah, he's already <laughs> found, he done found his way to visit me in Vegas a lot. <laughs> 
can't get a lot of yeah can't get a lot of people to know, visit you know, it's family. Right. This is about, about seeing family so it's know? funny he visited me i think four maybe four maybe five times in like 12 years in vegas one of them was my graduation okay another one was my wedding another one was when my first child was born so like those don't even count. But he's still like, hitting the benchmarks. Still yeah, saying, man. Like, he's there. Those. Yeah. I was there. Could have been in the memories. Don't go Africa. And he's supposed to come visit me on those occasions. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. Anyway, so um, you want a little bit more on on how I got to where I am, or just well, why we chose Vegas to do our holidays. So how you got here mm-hmm. to where now he is feeling comfortable living here? Because the reason why that that kind of works together is is you guys have a tethering because of being brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, your journey is, you know, special. He feels now comfortable not only in his career but in life to be far enough away, but you guys are both in a good enough space to where now you guys can kind of see each other. And Marcus just brought up, you guys actually do more now being farther away. So obviously the level of comfort must be good mm-hmm. of seeing how your little brother has been success enough to be able to be damn near on the other side of the country from you. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of that dude, man. It's like it's uh I brag a lot about him um, just because of seeing where he started and how he came up, you know, working, uh, playing basketball at Pitt and getting that opportunity to work there uh, straight out of college for a job that normally he needed a little bit more experience for, but he interviewed well and had a good background and they knew he could be a star. So someone took a risk on him there. Uh, and it just truth be told, him going into the sport and entertainment industry, or not entertainment necessarily because the NCAA, yeah, that's but, right, that's but right. into the, the academic and athletic industry, um, him going into that actually sparked my interest in it. Because uh, coming out of college, I was a broadcast journalism major. I worked in TV uh, as a part-time photographer for a little bit, but I couldn't get on the way I wanted to. So um, in the midst of bartending and stuff, to teaching and you know doing the photography thing I went back to grad school to major in sport and entertainment management right around the time you got the job with uh, Pittsburgh I just started my degree and so um, you know it just it kind of mirrored and we uh, went lock and step I went more on the arena venue side that's the side I'm on and then of course he's uh, on the sports administration side so that's something that was new to me Mm -hmm. to find out that you know you had had that history of being in sports broadcasting. Side note, that's why his voice, ladies and gentlemen, is coming in all smooth. <laughs> it'll it'll change as I get more comfortable. You'll, yeah. you'll hear that South Carolina come out more and more. But that it, it's dope that your brother gave you, even with you being the big bro, he gave you a little bit of an insight that maybe I should be looking to do something different mm-hmm. to find my own peace and happiness. Yeah, And the yeah. fact that you guys have a correlation of things that you can talk about in y'all similar fields, even though you have it more in the academia, but right. you guys still have to deal with venues, you still have to deal with people, you still have to deal with putting people in butts and seats. Yeah. you know, So that's good enough dinner banter in itself. Yeah. Now, before we go too far into that, I want to go back to the past because you brought up South Carolina. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, there was not too many people in this world that was repping South Carolina harder than the Brothers Bowman. And, South Cat. And, and I, I had never been. Uh, I think as soon as I got back from a work trip to Charleston, I hit one of y'all up like, you know, I get it. That's all I'm going to say. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so growing up in South Carolina, rich football history, mm-hmm. rich sports history. You guys were in Columbia? Yeah, Columbia. Okay. Now that's where Missouri is, right? Columbia, Missouri is in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri, of course, but we grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. So I went from Columbia to Columbia back in 2000. Okay. Yeah. Now, how was the scene as far as like athletic, you know, in South Carolina? Was there anybody that was like an athlete that our common listeners would end up knowing that's a name? And that's no knock on the great state of Cal- uh, South Carolina. Just, you know, yeah. the Brothers Bowman might be like some of the 10 most popular athletes <laughs> that came from Honestly, you know, I mean, honestly, if you want to talk about somebody that's like a superstar to us growing up, Jermaine O'Neal. Oh, so Jermaine O'Neal's nickname is Six. 
because uh, he was six six as a, like a little kid, and then he grew up to be six nine, and he was six eleven. So I just they dropped off that second part and started calling him six. Okay. So funny story, we were here in Vegas. What was that about uh, eight years ago, seven eight years ago? And we waiting on a car, and we see Jermaine O'Neal come out the hotel. We waiting on the car to pick us up, and we've been waiting for like 10, 15 minutes. At Jermaine O'Neal yeah. come out, and we had another twenty minutes to wait. Yeah. And we saw him. We said, "Hey, six. He turned around because he knew it was cats from South Carolina, and we it was like we were like ten deep. He said, "Hey." Pulled the car up, and we ended up getting our ride to to the club that night because it's South Carolina. Like he just knows, and so. Um, but he was a big athlete that you would know. Um, some other ones. I mean, there's a lot that that were in from South Carolina, not necessarily Columbia, but I mean, we grew up knowing Tyrone Corbin. Okay. Um, you know, he he knows our, our he knew our father um, Xavier McDaniel. Well, my I father got, as well. I, I got a couple that's a little bit more recent. I mean, like most people don't know, but Kevin Garnett, he's he's from yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And he I mean, he moved to go to, uh, to Chicago or to Illinois right. uh, when he was in uh, Ray Allen, another guy from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So those obviously you know big time yeah. big time ball players, big time hoopers. Right. He um, he's basically one of the the main reasons why LeBron is considered one of the top three players in NBA history. Yeah. Because if he don't hit that shot in the three in the corner. I'm, yeah. Okay. Let me, as a, as a resident uh, Le- Lebronite, let's call oh, it that. All right. uh, LeBron still hit the, the winning shot in overtime. Yeah. Yeah. And then that game and seven. And it was a game seven. It was yeah, a game seven. Dub. And no one had juice except for one King James. I'm just I'm just going to throw that out there. But granted, without one of the greatest shots in the history of, of a sport, we wouldn't be there. Look, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from LeBron. All I'm going to say is two words, Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I live in Dallas now, so you know I, I get reminded. I work with a guy who, who uh, used to work for the Mavericks at that time, so he made sure to bring the ring in one day to show me the yeah. ring they took from LeBron. I say LeBron gave it to him, but whatever. The yeah, ring they did. took from LeBron. We're not about to go back 20 years into the past when that nah, ring. we're not. <laughs> that 2011 finals, we know we're what not. happened. But oh. you keep it more recent, Chris Middleton, he's another guy from South Carolina. A lot of people on don't the Bucks, know that. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. on the yeah. Bucks. Yeah, okay. So that's another guy. That's a South Carolina guy. There's a lot out there right now that we are missing. Yeah, but yeah, we forgetting. Yeah, I'm trying to think of more NFL or my, my man that he played in South Carolina. Wasn't he from there? Uh, Clowney. Clowney. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's from Rock Hill. Okay, he's from the Rock Hill area. Him, Stephon Gilmore, they both from the same area. Did they go to school together? Uh, I think they might have went to. Was it? I don't know. I'm not going to get too much. South Point, I think, is what the school maybe. But, yeah, in Rock Hill. Uh, but so they obviously, was both on South yeah. Carolina team together. Yeah, and then also you got um, what's my man name? Alshon Jeffrey, who yeah. you know, I mean, everybody know Alshon. You had him on your fantasy team at one point in time. Straight up, play fantasy. Straight so up. he, you either love him one week or hate him the next. But that boy from the crib, so we like Alshon. Well, I mean, needless to say, you guys have a good list of mm-hmm. athletes that came from the great state, and a lot of them went and got their educations, you know, uh, and went into the pros. Sitting with both of y'all, mm-hmm. you know, I know y'all's resume. You know, not only because we good and we people, but also just y'all put it out there for folks to know. Like this is a journey that it wasn't easy, but it's not hard for everybody else that come from our background to be able to do. Uh, when it comes to sports and education, when did you end up figuring out, and I'm going to pose a question to Big Brother first. First one is, when did I want to go to college to play sports, and then when did you realize I need to pay more attention to the books than the ball? It was early on. Our father, uh, who passed away uh, here recently, so God rest his soul, instilled in us um, education from a, from a young age. I mean, we had to cut the TV off, the video games, everything, for a minimum of one hour every night up until the day Marcus graduated from high school. So, um, And in that hour, we couldn't do anything but either read, homework, or study. So one of those three. So we knew 
pretty early on that education was really important. As far as sports, he played college sports. He played at Howard University uh, back in the day, and our grandfather played at Allen, which is a small black uh, college in, in Columbia, South Carolina. He played football there. So my father played basketball. My grandfather played football. So I wanted to follow in those footsteps. But as a, at a young age, I knew, you know, I played football. I grew pretty quickly. I haven't grown an inch since I was 13 years old, so I was a tall kid. But Stuart Scott popped on the screen when I was in middle school, and I just like, I want to be that guy. And so uh, I knew from her, that age, in order to do that, I needed to go and get a journalism degree. But I wanted to be him, but I also wanted to talk about college football. So I had to take it a little bit seriously to try to get to the college level. And I was able to walk on at the University of Missouri. Now, granted, I played for one year because I realized that, you know, I was more in the academics was going to be my way, not necessarily football. Um, and the coach got fired as well, so that didn't help. But either way, so that I've always known that I wanted to do both of those things. And uh, the only way for me to get to where I wanted to get is to make sure that the classroom's covered first. Then, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I, I would add on to that. I mean, one of the things that our dad always did was he exposed us to a lot as young kids. I mean, when I th- when I say a lot, I mean even in the sports world. So I mean, he had us playing golf when we were when we were young, and we played golf for a long time. We were able. To, there were two golf courses on the army base, and my mom she worked on the army base, so we were able to actually play golf on the army base for very very cheap, which is typically a sport that's you know a country club sport, a sport that costs a lot of it's money to play. Yeah. It's <laughs> not made. The reason for, why we haven't dominated that sport exactly, yet. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not made for you know individuals that look like us but our dad really exposed us to that at a young age you know also exposed us to you know tennis like there was actually a tennis pro that lived down the street uh from us so things like that that he exposed us to to make sure that there was a bigger world out there particularly from the sports end um but you know i i always knew that sports could be and really should be an avenue to lead you to even bigger and better things i mean it teaches you obviously so much you know hard work determination uh dealing with diversity but what it also teaches you is how to deal with different type of people from all different different types of walks of life you know uh, sports is this galvanizing force whether you play it whether you go there to just cheer on your team experience it you see people from all different walks of life so I mean I always knew that sports while we all loved it ultimately if we used it as an avenue to get to something greater you know that's why you know we were so involved in it and then particularly you know getting into college and, and playing at the college level and letting that lead us to you know to things after that well the fact that you guys are beacons of understanding that education is king because I'll say it here my ass didn't figure that out um, that's why I think I hold the, the West Coast record of most junior college trip over a four year stay in the history of mankind but you know we got there we finished there, no there. It, it was just something about where you finally when that light finally hit about the education is going to get you farther than the ball it makes you reassess things but it makes you more focused to just get out because then you figure and I don't want to knock the educational machine but clock is ticking that them things make more money than we do in right. those, in those right. institutions no doubt mm-hmm. so you know it makes you get aware and get focused so the fact that you guys were able to figure it out and then use those launch pads to get into your perspective fields even with you like I said it made you get out in what you originally wanted to get into mm-hmm. in broadcast journalism you know that was my minor salute to our school down in southern Colorado Adam State now university I still say college <laughs> uh, that we mama name a college yeah, I'm gonna call it college exactly reason why I didn't get to have that broadcasting majors because they only allow certain classes like once a year and I had already donated enough money through the, the federal loan program so I didn't want to stay a whole other semester so I went general business with a journalism minor but then you got out I'm what a couple years older than you yeah I'm 37 okay so only like three yeah but I stayed around the college a little bit too long shout out to old man at D Hall too so did we we all did it together but when we got out 
you know, I thought like, okay, it'd be cool to be able to get on, you know, get back to Vegas, you know, work the nightlife, maybe get a radio station gig, try to figure it out. And then you're like, damn, so oh, my big popular FM DJ, that's cool, he's the FM DJ, but he's got nine jobs. And, mm-hmm. and all of them seem like they involve being in front of a grocery store or, or a bowling alley <laughs> on a Tuesday. So it like, it just didn't really hit right. That was one of those first indicators, like maybe yeah. I need to get out of this for a minute. I got a story about that. I actually got my first job offered at uh, in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, I was 22 years old, fresh out of college, had a, the job offer after a couple interviews. I was excited about it. And they told me what I was going to make. $19,500 my first year. 22000 the second. It was a two-year contract. Mm-hmm. I was excited about it because I knew you didn't make any money in journalism anyway. Right. Well, long story short, I ended up not being able to get that job, you know, because of some, honestly, don't drive fast. All the kids who are out there right now in college, <laughs> I had two speeding tickets from when I was 20 that kept me from getting a job at 22, which is crazy. Like racing tickets. Yeah. Well, you know, I was I'm running some errands. Yeah, so um, either way, I just know I had to, uh, I wasn't able to get that job. You know, after turning down some others and some other people turning me down, decided I wanted to go a different route. And then I started making, I started, bar- I was making more money bartending and substitute teaching than I would have made that first year being a sports person personality in Arizona and that's when I knew I was like yeah it's not for me man I need some money yeah yeah. it's a very sad thing to be able to figure out that sometimes your passion doesn't always click the first time through you know but that's part of that knowledge base that you guys got you know from parents and from going through the sports process is that setbacks come back for a greater get back you know and you ended mm-hmm. up seeing that you needed to go into a different route to be able to set your dreams up you know and now with the modern technology and all that we sitting on a podcast that goes out across the world yeah. you know now one thing i want to make sure that i go over because marcus is here so i'm gonna turn back to the good brother mr bowman what's up side. unlv finally doing something that i've looked forward to as a resident and homebred of this town they're putting in a big boy stadium i'm not even talking about the whole thing that the raiders are here like we're just gonna say this is unlv stadium okay the raiders like just built it i like all right, that all right first off that's big for the program for if, sure if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick rundown not only of where your role involves at unlv but the importance of now having a true anchor to start bringing in talent and bring in the revenue sources necessary because as Drew brought up NCAA they may not say that they're a business but they're a damn business so you got to find ways to make your business of UNLV look greater so if you wouldn't mind giving the good folks a quick rundown of where your journey is with UNLV and with this stadium and what it's going to do yeah well obviously you know everybody knows we're excited about the new Allegiant Stadium that's going to be opening up in the fall a little over two billion dollar stadium is state of the art we had a, a couple times to be able to tour it and we've been having a lot of communication with the Raiders and the folks at AG are going to be running the stadium but for what it means for not just UNLV football but you know to your point UNLV University as a whole you know we look at this move to the stadium as not just a f- six seven football games a year but really how do we use this stadium to transform our entire institution um, obviously from a football perspective I mean we're going to be playing in one of the nicest stadiums or probably the nicest stadium in the country and that in itself is going to bring a lot of excitement for our fans but most notably for you know the young men that are going to be on the field that are playing and then certainly some of the young men that will be on the crowd the recruits and the future of UNLV football right. so that's big I mean it's certainly going to help you know transform our department and there's going to be a lot of opportunities financially for a game for us to be able to try to take the next step in addition to that you know we also just recently or last fall opened up a new practice complex for Tito football complex a 34 million dollar complex 70 2,000 square feet um, and I have had the opportunity yeah you know just a couple of things I've had the opportunity to be at a lot of different practice complexes and certainly stadiums 
around the country and this practice complex is is uh, online with some of the best that I've seen um, and what was even further validating to that is when you know you bring in a new coach like Marcus Arroyo and he tells you that you know this is online with some of the things that he's seen whether it's at Oregon other Pac-12 schools other schools in the Big 12 so we're really really excited about that and certainly you know to be able to compete at the highest level you have to have the infrastructure you know it still comes down to people I mean people are what makes places you have to have the right leaders you have to have the right men of character uh, that are leading your program and the young men that are going to be on the football field representing university and Las Vegas as a whole uh, but you know I mean you're catering to 16 17 year old you know young men you know they, they they like to see nice things and so we're excited about that and UNLV hasn't had that in the future and we're excited about where it's going to take us man well one asset I'll have since you went ahead and said that you got a chance to tour the facilities you know you've been able to communicate with the folks over at AEG that's going to handle it so um, when Canelo goes there to fight next September I'm coming to you <laughs> okay. right. I'm coming to him too because <laughs> at least I know I somebody's going to have a plug I got to think and I got to think who I'm going to right? <laughs> I want to be there too well, but man we but you know to that point I mean you know when you think about and I think we talked about this a couple times before like transformationally I mean what that's going to do to not only just that end of the strip but just the type of events that it's going to bring to Las Vegas because as you know nobody throws a party like Las Vegas nobody hosts an event like Las Vegas correct and to be able to have now, you know, those mega fights or to be able to now get the, you know, the college football playoff, the Super Bowl, the, you know, the Final Four, the, you know, the Taylor Swift concerts, whatever it may be. I mean, it's going to really take it, you know, to another level for a place that's already know how to do things on a big level. So that's exciting, yeah. man. It really is. Because from being here when the NBA had the All-Star game, that infamous All-Star game, I just wish that me and my crew of flunkies, we just had a little bit more money. <laughs> just, just, just a little bit more in the tuck because, Jesus, this town was crazy during Isn't that, that the motto of Vegas? I wish I had a little just bit more money. Just would have had a little bit more money. I'd, I'd <laughs> hit it a third I would have had a little bit more money. I'd have been able to hit that last number. Yeah, it just Vegas almost fell apart because we weren't necessarily – scaled out mm -hmm. to be able to handle that kind of number yeah. you know you fast forward that was a 06 07 season so we've pushed past that now and you look at it going into 2020 we're going to be two pro sports teams in yep working on a third you know i just the fan of me from being an nba kid i do want to see seattle get a team before vegas gets a team unless it's up to just seattle and vegas and run that shit to vegas mm -hmm. you know the vegas supersonic sounds just as good as the seattle supersonic not I got the aces good. too now i mean yeah you already got another professional team because you know your girl asia wilson south Re carolina. respect to south carolina respect straight, to the aces. straight from the met, yeah, the met. <laughs> columbia what's up asia but with the, the city having that kind of that access and he said having the stadium be anchor at unlv for kids that grew up here, we didn't see Vegas as having like a true campus environment. You know, if you went to UNLV, it was in a lot of ways the university would never leave Vegas, you know, just because of the cheap tuition, you didn't necessarily know where you want to go or, you know, you were in like the hospitality management or something where it truly kept you to be here. And it never made sense to me and any other guys that were around here that were in the sports space of how UNLV wasn't able to attract enough talent. Basketball, we've had the history of the running rep. Football, just it never really hit. And I know a lot of that had to do with location, facilities, and a true commitment to showing the team that it's going to build. This stadium does give you guys that anchor point to truly do that and create in some ways a quasi-campus for the university where people want to actually stay near that area and 100%. have that stadium. 100%. Um, who are they opening up the stadium with? Uh, we're going to be opening up with Cal. Next year, I want to say August 29th. Okay. Yep. So we'll be doing a, a live remote, you know, from the Cal UNLV <laughs> game, watching Marcus sweat his life away because he's going to have that pressure on wanting to see that show and that big smile on his face. But no, that, that's good, man. That's good. Respects to the city with that, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, Jew, 
you know, you are over there in Dallas, and I made sure, just for the good folks in my bad handwriting, Senior Director of Marketing at the Texas State Fair Park. <laughs> that sounds very professional, but you just want to give somebody a quick rundown of what the hell that means, if you wouldn't mind. Well, the area is called, it's called Fair Park. Um, it's a National Historic Landmark located in Dallas, Texas. It's just east of downtown Dallas. It was built in 1936. Well, it was named Fair Park in 1936. Some of the buildings, they uh, started going up in the late 1800s. So uh, it's been the home of the State Fair for over 100 years. You know, they just had one of their better years this past year uh, at the uh, State Fair of Texas. But we, so we host the State Fair of Texas, but we're also home to the Cotton Bowl Stadium. Now, up until 2009, the Cotton Bowl was at Cotton Bowl Stadium in Fair Park. Now it's at Jerry's World it, on AT&T. Correct. It's at um, Jerry World. Yeah. That's Jerry, how you say it. Jer- Jerry. Jerry World. Okay. Which is, he was a big part of why y'all got a team here in Vegas. Uh, but, yeah, so we are um, we host all kind of a different events. Uh, this year we'll have the Winter Classic uh, coming up on New Year's Day between the Stars and uh, Dallas Stars and Nashville Predators. So that game sold out in a day. So 85,000 people would be the second largest attended outdoor hockey game. The first outdoor hockey game for the NHL in the South. Uh, so I got to head back home to, to make sure I'm there for that one. Um, but we also host uh, big things like this is a festival called Earth X, which has over 100,000 people that visit. It's more earth conscious. Uh, there's the Pride. We do Dallas Pride at Fair Park. We also have a bunch of different museums. We've got the African-American Museum. We have Discovery Gardens. we got uh, the Texas Hall of State. So it's a lot. It's a lot going on. Um, and we're in the process of actually revitalizing uh, Fair Park. That includes a master plan update. That's also going to include building a neighborhood park. And, now, and just to give you an idea of that, where it's located is a historically black and brown area. And okay. it's been, um, at times, over history, not even at times, it's been neglect, you know. And, and so eyes are, are focused on us and what we can do to help revitalize that area. Now, our focus is inside of the, the 277 acres, but we know what we do there can affect the community around. So uh, we're going to be building a neighborhood park to help give uh, some of the people of South Dallas an opportunity to come out, just play, relax enjoy themselves see some things and so um that's one of the reasons why i actually moved to dallas is knowing that i would be able to have you know an opportunity to help affect a community that looks like me about how many events a year do you guys do over a thousand between all the different venues we have about honestly there's about 20 different like venues that can be used at fair park for an event um so if you add them all up including the state fair of texas which is the um you know 24 days i believe is how long they run um you're talking about over a thousand events a year See, immediately when, you know, you first told me about the role and, you know, you got on with the gig and I saw it was stay fair. Like, I didn't know about the other 999 issues. I just knew about, you know, the Texas OU game. Like, oh, Drew, go be at the game. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> uh, so that's just mind-blowing even. Yeah. There. So, But, I mean, when you think about that, like, you know, events are weird. You know, Texas State Fair, that's technically 24 events. It's one event, but it's 24-event days because it happens like that. And then you also have the game happening inside of it. So that's an event happening inside of that that you have to have a ticket for. There's other things that happen during that time frame. Now, I can't tell you the percentage of events during that, you know, September to October run. But outside of that, I can tell you about the events. And you're talking about hundreds up to a thousand. And we're, we're going to build upon that. We're looking at hosting some uh, concerts uh, inside of Cotton Bowl here in 2020. Uh, we're also going to bring back Jambalaya last year. That's an outdoor festival, over 25,000 screaming kids. We had Travis Scott and Lil Wayne this past year. Two years ago, they had Jake Cole and Migos. So I don't know who they're going to have this year but it's at the beginning of may so we're excited to see uh, what they're gonna have so we do a ton of stuff man it's i'm never i hate saying this is double negative in journalism major me but i'm never not busy so he is correct that is a double negative <laughs> and didn't that just make you just feel a little bit older when you said twenty five thousand kids and they start yeah. talking about wayne, wayne and Cole, like, and Jacob, bro they, yeah. they were wayne is not a kid. Scott, yeah. like, i grew up on wayne <laughs> 
Like me and Wayne are the same age, and but you know these kids, he's a different. He birthed this generation of rap. That's true. That's you true. You know, I mean, Wayne is is the the goat to this generation of rap. I mean, technically, like you just said, I mean, you was more of a no limit. He was more like a no limit guy. Okay. Growing up in New Orleans, you know, I he ain't, he ain't think cash money. Full was gonna disclosure, last. he is not incorrect. I was at every. It was a Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I was buying a new No Limit album. If it had Fiend, tank on it, oh, Mr. Serve oh, on. Yeah. If it uh, had Kane, Silk, Cable, 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 Mia X, Mia X, most underrated female rapper of oh, all she, time. Mia yeah, X. Mama Mia could go. Yes, yeah. Mia X, Master P. I had had No Limit Soldiers one and two. Mr. Serve on. Um, yeah, exactly. Little Soldiers, Romeo. <laughs> I had them all, <laughs> and I still even even after Juvenile dropped 400 Degrees, which was you know a classic in the South. I still thought that. Cash money was a, was a flash in the pan. I was like, right, it's not gonna last. Shit. So uh, since we we spent out a, about that that South spin of 1998, I was in Riverside, California, Club Metro. DJ Quick and Sugar Free was doing a show there. Mm-hmm. That shit was off the chain. But back when you actually could park a lot, pimp. You know, we sitting out there in the parking lot. Dudes is coming through, handing out VHS tapes with the Cash Money logo on there. And it was Juvenile Ha on the tape. Mm-hmm. Oh, for real? So we get back to our apartment in Victorville. Play the tape and it didn't hit the first time through. Ju, it didn't, it didn't hit. Because like, it was so different. Like what? It, what, it wasn't you, bad, but it was just like that I don't did know what's not. Going on. I will say this: that song was popular, but it didn't hit until when back that ass came up. People came back to high. over. Yeah. It was over. Like, Cash Money had it for the 99 and the 2000. <laughs> and and, straight, and quite frankly, I didn't see it coming. But there was this little kid that was rapping with him, Lil Wayne, which we didn't know didn't curse until he told us, you know, I don't curse. Until, you know, because he didn't curse on the record until he was 18 years old. And so, uh, th- who knew that he would be who he is now? Hey, you know, our guys here, when we finally figured out the whole Cash Money movement and started listening to it, we always thought Wayne was the fourth out of the, the high boy anyway. Like, I was a big Turk guy. And then BG. <laughs> I was BG. I, mean, I was BG. That, that Cash Money, when that, when that slap right there, it was like, it, it sounded hard. Yeah, like, Juvie was the like, one that was more like the pop. Yeah. yeah. But then BG yeah. was the one that was really taking them chances. The street. Yeah. yeah. The street record. And then Turk just had good wordplay. Yeah. And then Wayne was the kid and he had the energy. But then when the block is hot, drop, like, oh, yeah, you might be all right. You Game know? I was senior in high school. And I, oh, that's about the time when I, I, I gave him, I still gave him a run. I still was hoping P and them can come back. Oh, that nah, guerrilla warfare. Burbs. I still went to, you know, <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays. Better watch for the sweet. Riding. Yep. Riding, we riding. Show age. We showing our age. <laughs> yeah, definitely show your age. Oh, I got another question. <laughs> show your age. So yeah, obviously you know, look. <laughs> so Lil John obviously is a resident DJ here in Las, in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is the same time when we was out here when he was telling the Jermaine O'Neal story seven, eight years ago when we were here. Lil John was performing. And so I asked Lil John. <laughs> I went up and requested a song. I was like, hey man, can you play Bia Bia? <laughs> Like, hey man, you show your age out here, man. You show your age. That was a banger, was, right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. But that was turned down for what, little John? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Don't, they don't know about being a little John. No, they don't know about like inciting riding in the club, little John. Yeah, 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 get on my level. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There, there yeah. was a whole run that we used to listen to where you pretty much guaranteed when that crump ran on in the club, you was on any kind of tilt. It's yeah. over. Yeah, it's the likelihood there was going to be at least some, some elbows. That was going Do on. you ever go back and listen to those records, man? He literally was telling you to punch somebody in the face. Yeah, run around like Club. <laughs> I'm like this head bust. That's how you know you old. You listen back to him. You're like you Bobby. Had the, oh God, that's problematic. Yeah, but I still mean, ride to him. We some head busters. We some head busters. I'll knock yeah. out. We some head busters. Like, all right, that's I'm telling you, man. That's every song that was. Hey, what? What hook? Well, how are we gonna get get people mad today? 
right, yeah. that's the song. Yeah, that one. But it worked. It worked for us. It's generation. We turned out okay. So we that's did. all I'm saying. We did. You know, and, and that so was I got still faith in the youth. That was still that edge of the generation. And we did talk about this topic uh, with my good man Ricky Kid on the last episode for the taste about we're talking about hip-hop music now because you guys are around an age where we're all still in that same pot of music mm-hmm. we were in that focus where artists were more of good or bad the drug supplier mm-hmm. you brought up that wayne kind of birthed a lot of this new music yep isn't it tough to be able to see now that most of the drug music is now the user and in particular the drugs that were in medicine cabinets which for a long period of time used to be an issue that was a different color you can say it yeah yeah the the problems that happened in the hood have now stretched out to suburbia and mm-hmm. now they've came back into the hood you know i'm not the biggest fan of a lot of this music that's dropped now this pill rap or whatever they want to try to you know title it as but i also know that that's just the culture that these kids are getting and people gave us a lot of stick because we in some ways emulated or looked up to the dope boy rap mm-hmm. but we also knew that i didn't want to take 25 to 30 year penitentiary chances you know to feel like <laughs> big meech or larry hoover i was scared of my mama so <laughs> right. listen to this right now so i'm not gonna curse yeah. so <laughs> it doesn't seem like kids have that issue though when they hear their current favorite app artist now and we'll just throw the name out recipes juice world you know triple x triple x you know they they talked about being on the pills they talked about having these issues and a kid can at least be like i i'm sad too because i'm not doing anything or whatever's in their mind because we remember being teenagers at one point Mm -hmm. but instead of them you know hearing the story to go hit the block and go hit a lick they're talking about you know i'm popping pill and pop oh i can go do that in the medicine cap well the difference is the, the music that when we were younger when somebody when dre or you know, Snoop, Big, or whatever was talking about, you know, being on the block, pushing drugs. Suburbia didn't have access to that. Yeah. They got access to getting the drugs, though. So that that's kind of how, I guess you could say, the epidemic of how pill rap has led to some of these things. But I still am a, I don't like to blame actions on the music, even though I know we all try to emulate it, because I just don't like to do that, because we all listen to the stuff and, you know, the, the gangster rap growing up, but we were able to tell the difference between the two. Didn't mean we you know, didn't dress a certain way, talk a certain way, right. want to be a certain per- right. type of person, but um, there was a difference. So, but I, I just hate getting on the young generation because, you know, it's not for me. But at the same time, my parents would have said the same thing about the stuff that we heard in the 90s. So, and we had a lot of vanilla ices and, and MC Hammer. So, we can't act like everything that came out in the early 90s, late 80s was, was fire. But Man, uh, Hammer was fire. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Okay. Uh, uh-oh, here comes the Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'll just, I, I will say this. I'm talking about now grown listening back to it I laugh but that was our first concert that my brother and I went to was MC Hammer yep. Joe to see open and uh, Boys to Men open that's a good and concert it was Hammer. think about that think that's about a, that's that a good concert that's, right that's there. a good 1990, concert right we in our Adams Family shirts cause you know you had the Adams Family we do what we wanna do say what we, we wanna, wanna say, say. <laughs> and he didn't even perform the damn song <laughs> So, anyways, so you know, Hammer don't hurt us, you know. So, but at the same time, like we can't call it like, yeah, it may not, it may be corny to us, but to you know, every generation has their thing. It just ain't for me. Um, I told my brother the other day, if you weren't from America and you came here and you turned on the radio, it'd be like going to Jamaica and listening to reggae if you never listened to reggae. Because you'd be like, man, it all sound the same. Huh? Yeah. But if you listen to it, you can hear the differences. And that's kind of how our, this generation of music is. A lot of it sounds the same. You're like, is that the same song I heard about 10 minutes ago? Like, no, it's different. But, you know, it all kind of melds together. And um, so, but it's not really for me, but I understand that it's for somebody. So I don't like to get on the people um, about it. So Now, I mean, to your point, and we'll go ahead and give that disclaimer mm-hmm. that the music 
isn't what's making these kids make those decisions. At the end of the day, that comes down to the structure in their home. Yeah. But this is a good accelerant when they don't have that structure in the home. Fair point. I mean, because we, like you said, we all listen to that gangster rap. I mean, I had Brother Lynch hung on, on CD, and that's on the, the far end of just completely nastiness. But I ain't never wanted, you know, I ain't even going to say it because we on IG Live because I wouldn't be able to edit out some of the shit that he was saying on some of them verses. But it involved doing things. That, I listened to Eminem growing up, so I mean... Still, I still listen to Marshall. Yeah, but that yeah. talking about doing things, children, children, women, to yeah. all that stuff. So yeah. bitches, man, Viking and Vin, 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 all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're around kids more often, though. See, now, damn it, you made me say kids. I say kids, like, like yeah. late kids. teens, early twenties, something. <laughs> you, you're around that that wheelhouse of student. I'm guessing you have some of those students that work in the athletic department, and you have those moments where they listen to something. You're like, what the hell? Am I that old? Have you had that moment yet? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. I realized a couple years ago. So James, James Connor, you know. Uh, place with the Steelers. Um, he was a student athlete when I worked at Pitt, and he used to call me Mr. B. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, is my dad so, around here yeah. somewhere? Like, you know, you saying Mr. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, they they listen to a different type of music. I mean, they, they you know, they dress a little a little different. Their lingo is different. But kind of to the points that y'all was making earlier, I mean, it works for them. I mean, I don't want to be that old man, get off of my lawn. Old man, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work for me, but I can certainly respect it. And I, I'm all about the hustle. So mm-hmm. that's the one thing, too, with these, these uh, the new rappers that are out like we sitting here talking on a podcast right now they can just pull out their mic make a little beat on their computer and you got a little Nas X yeah, yeah. you know and that man just made generational money you know yeah. so I can't hate somebody for that I don't need to listen to the song but I respect the hustle brother said yeah I mean the, the fact of now that technology is so close to these kids being able to have an opportunity um in some ways it kind of accelerates them not having that maybe home training or that structure at home because they're doing this in their free time because mom may not be there pop may not be there and they just gave them a machine or gave them a couple dollars to be able to get a beat and then they become stars and they don't know how to really handle it mm-hmm. you know we grew up during that time where a and r was still important mm-hmm. you know, where an artist was kind of groomed and brought together now, mm-hmm. because of what we're doing with the digital age, there's no A and R. You know, some of these kids they go from being a 13 year old, you know, just getting 38 bucks and getting a beat, to now having the longest running song in the history of mankind, and they never got a chance to figure out what the hell they was actually doing with it. Nope. It makes me wonder, and I don't have any children here yet in this part of the game, but it makes me wonder how not only is the music industry going to be because you have two younger beautiful children, you know, how the, the music industry is going to be for them, or just entertainment. Like, I'm nervous about how these kids coming up are going to be able to enjoy things in the world yeah yeah no it's sometimes it's scary man i mean when you think about the instantaneousness of everything and how you know one video one whatever it may be can be across the whole world or the whole globe um and you don't know i mean the one thing that's obviously the only thing that we know that's uh definite in life is that there will always be change so who knows what two years from now who knows what's five years from now more or less who knows what's 20 years from now but man it all goes back to that structure at home and putting the right structure in place to make sure that they understand like it's okay to be a kid it's okay to have fun it's okay to you know to indulge into some degree but you have to understand what's you know what's right from wrong what's reality versus you know fake or whatever whatever the case may be but i mean it, it really does i mean when you watch some of the things that's out there i mean it makes you hold your hold your little ones even that much tighter for the folks that don't have any children on this side of the table you you make sure you squeeze your kids a little bit tighter <laughs> we know your kids are going to be fine but all folks that are listening to this podcast you know Treat your kids right during the holiday season if you can. Hug them a little bit closer because I don't want them breaking into my house when no. they get a little bit older. Robbie <laughs> season, season two, yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. Waiting for season three. Where you at, Donald? 
uh, he, he's still enjoying some of that This Is America money. I know. And that tour he went on, too. It was sold out everywhere. See? So that's the industry I work in. So, you know. Well, come back to that. That, that <laughs> is something that I, I had down here as far as with events. Mm-hmm. Now, Jute, since short arm, since you've gotten into this industry, how many concerts have you been a part of and been able to see? I don't know, man. I've been doing this now for 10 years. Everywhere I've been, we do roughly 10 to 15 concerts a year, so easily over 100, and that doesn't even include the ones I go to for fun. So, I mean, I've seen some some crazy ones. I've seen some, I mean, Future, the worst concert. Like, he himself is not bad. I actually got a lot of respect for Future for this. The promoter came through when I was in Orlando um, at the arena, and uh, he didn't want to really work with us on, on uh, promoting his uh, show. Thought he had it, and uh, it was Future at the time when uh, same damn time was out so future had that song on the radio he had yeah. the good good and alcohol all that stuff it was he had like four hits on the radio tony montana was yeah. still rolling yeah yeah, yeah. Two hundred ten thousand seat arena and future came out and said i normally wouldn't even do this but y'all rocking with me so let's go he did 45 minutes in front of 200 people man Damn. that was crazy to see knowing who he is and the, and the level of music that he had so that that actually on the quote-unquote low point of event you know high point will be actually coming up here in, in january uh, for the winter classic that's going to be high point because that's just so different seeing an outdoor hockey rink but i mean we i did kevin hart i met kevin hart he's a cool dude actually really cool um, you know, we've had concerts, Migos, Keith Sweat, which is actually just legendary to me, Keith Sweat, man, like Anthony Hamilton, like a bunch of different concerts. So I can go on and on about it. So, But you're talking about, honestly, probably closer to 200 concerts. And you said that the smallest attendant one was Future. So just because I know the, the line of work that you're in, I'm still going to ask the question, who was the wackest concert that you saw? Okay, so I can say this because, I mean, you don't know who they are. It, it, that's the tough You don't know who they are, but it's a band called Sigur Ross from Iceland. It was the worst music I've ever seen and it was just all these folks just in a trance enjoying this stuff and it was absolute trash couldn't understand the words because it was Icelandic okay. uh, I didn't understand the patterns because once again it's Icelandic but it sold like 4,000 tickets and so like I was, I was like people want to see this and you had to sit there that oh, whole yeah. time like what the hell are I uh, we also had to take photos and post them on social media like it mattered <laughs> but I mean I guess it, it did it to 4,000 people you know, yeah <laughs> but I, I live in Florida about as far as you can get from Iceland as far as temperature and, and dynamic so that was you know that was not good it, you know I really I, I was talking about young guys I like T-Grees T-Grees I kind of I don't know what it is about T. Grizzly. I just get hyped up when I listen to his music. Okay. But his set before Migos was pretty. You know, there was a lot of that playback. <laughs> you know, and then, then they had his vocals on it. And you know, he already got like a different style. Yeah, yeah. I was I had to walk out because I was I can't watch people in a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like that. So <laughs> not back to that whole A and R thing. Not every artist. Yeah. Is a good artist, you know, on stage. They just an artist behind the mic. Yeah. But eventually, they end up learning that. Yeah, but like I said, I like T Grizzly. I just wish they would have gave him uh, tracks without just the instrument, instrumentals and not his voice, because he already has such a weird, different cadence. And he was he was double timing on yeah, his own he was verses. Double timing. So I had to walk out. Now a similar question, but to the good brother Mark. You know, I've seen you win. You know, salute and appreciate when we've got to go to the Rebel Games on, on the respects of the athletic department. You know, you've done the the move. You know, you've been out there moving and shaking, shaking hands, kissing babies. They like to say and seeing our prominent people that are proud sponsors of UNLV sports. How are those moments and those handshakes and that moving around when I'm just going to use an example? Teams getting boat raced by 35 points in the third quarter. You know, does, does your legs move as fast? <laughs> Are the handshakes a little bit quicker? <laughs> no, I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe a little bit less handshakes, but 
I mean, I think the thing is, you know, similar to what Junior was saying, like, I mean, when you work in a certain industry, you're going to see everything. I mean, yeah. you're going to at some point experience, like, the highs of the highs and, you know, winning winning a conference championship, and then you're going to experience the lows of the lows, and especially in something like sports, right? There's a scoreboard, like, right? Like, at the end of the day, somebody's going home happy. Somebody is going home sad. I mean, you can maybe there's something in between in the middle with moral victories and playing above your pay grade or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's still a scoreboard. You're doing it to win. But at the end of the day, I mean, like we always, or at least I always go back because I was a former student athlete. I understand that there's a bigger picture than just you know the wins and losses and what happens on the on the court or on the field. So you know when you're around and you're talking to people and fans are obviously very very passionate about their sport. They want to see win. You always try to make sure that they understand that you know you're teaching them life lessons. There's a lot of things that's coming out of out of these games and out of these events and just you know wins and losses, but. Yeah, man, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you know, it, it, I, I've been in situations before in my past where, you know, I got to go meet and, and talk to somebody about this, that, or third, and the scoreboard is not agreeing with what I'm, with what I'm trying to say. And so you understand, you start to learn how to pivot from that. But no, nah, man, I've, I've seen it all, man. And, you know, 14, 14, almost 15 years of working in the industry, I mean, you see you see a lot of different things. And so, yeah, I, I thought of it when he hooked us up with some tickets to go see Nevada Reno. You know that team oh, yeah. last year that had seventy-two graduate seniors and transfer seniors. It was it was a relatively good team. I ain't gonna knock the the team from up north. You know, brother Bo came through, was clean on him. You know, looked good, looked like good money. Game was still close. It hit halftime, and he came back through. Good man came back through, but you just kind of see the look in his face like, all right, I gotta go. You know, talk to some other people. There was still like eight minutes left of the game. Wow. <laughs> you know, he came through. He showed respect. I appreciate y'all coming. I gotta go make these go walk. <laughs> That's gotta be part of it, man. But that the fact that you have that kind of exposure to, to be in some ways the face of UNLV, UNLV athletics and to you to be out there. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that I do appreciate about both of y'all is that you're in spaces that most of our faces aren't used to being seen. You know, and it gives folks an idea that outside of the let's just say the power five things they tell us kids of certain complexions can only do mm-hmm. that there's splices off of that and more important like there's tend to be a lot more long-term opportunities behind what you thought i've been trying to, to preach that message throughout our industry because on the sport and entertainment the venue side of things when i go to a conference of marketing i'm one of usually less than 10 black faces probably black and brown faces but definitely black faces so as a part of our initiative in dallas what we've done is we we do an internship program with uh two local high schools which are both uh they're both majority black and brown we have 20 students total 10 from each school and we do an internship program in the summer we pay them we teach them about our industry because our goal is and we did our first run this past summer uh, we're going to do this for the next 20 years and we invest a hundred thousand dollars a year into this program and our goal is to basically create um, you know opportunity and, and show them that there's more there's a different side to this entertainment uh thing because you know a lot of people want to be in the front of the camera but not realizing there's so many people behind it that can work for the next 50 years as opposed to the next 10 when you're just hot or six 10 is a blessing you know two years while you're hot you can basically be behind the camera or booking a show promoting a show doing the the event rundown for the show the setup for the show you can do that for till you 70 
Yeah. So um, trying to teach them that um, that's one of the things, man. Because our industry in general, like we're we're it, it's a it's an industry issue. Fortunately, I work for a company that actually it, it understands that. We hired a new HR guy who's African American, and he knows he and I have had, well, I haven't had a chance to talk to him. I've talked to somebody that's under him about it. Uh, but you know, we want to try to push that forward a little bit um, and try to get some different faces in it, just to show there's more opportunity. Because as you know, when you don't have diversity in the room, dumb stuff happens. Facts. So it doesn't just mean racial diversity. That means age diversity. It means gender diversity. Whatever. You have it but if you don't have it in the room dumb stuff can happen and so um you know that's that's always been my my message if somebody kind of pushes back well, it's like listen man you need to get in the room because dumb stuff can happen when you don't well at least with you being in more of the athletic space the splits may not be as wide as probably in my industry and jews industry. yeah really? yeah yeah i mean okay. yeah i mean <clears throat> I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, because I, mean, I was just, I was just shocked at the fact. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, we we are so prominent in the space as far as the revenue generators that there will at least be a few heads along the way. So, is it at least being let's let's spin it this way? Is it being more addressed that you would think from when you first came in about 15 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that you know, there's been a lot of progress. I mean, just with anything, though, I mean, there's still a lot of progress to be made, and that can be made. I mean, I think when you think about it from that standpoint, I mean, you know, are there more head coaches? And, you know, are there more athletic directors? Are there more presidents? I mean, all, all of those type of things that ultimately are the people that are helping make some of the decisions. You know, that go into to to a lot of this. But you know, I think what's important is that you know, when you think about diversity, you know, obviously you think about inclusion, and you know, it's important. To have you know diversity of uh of not just uh, you know physical makeup but diversity and thought right to Julian's point i mean we're all in the room if we, we 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 shouldn't all look the same but even if we somewhat do we need to be having different mindsets we need to be thinking about things differently because that's the only way that you get better mm-hmm. right. is you know challenging each other people having different backgrounds thinking about things differently and that's one of the things that i'm really proud of at unlv and athletic department that i work for you know we're a very diverse department you know everybody has a voice i mean we get in the room we talk things out you know, and that's something that um, our leg director preaches. But additionally, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest takes of, of the school as well. You know, UNLV certainly publicizes as one of the most, if not the most diverse school in the country. And I think that's just very, very important because that's what the world looks like. That's, that's what it looks like now and certainly what it's going to continue to look like 5, 10, 50 years from now. Correct. Correct. Well, then one other topic that I have before a couple of questions that I have for the brothers Bowman okay since we both just kind of or all three of us went on it of being one of the few in the room quick sense of the way and the pride that makes you feel you know when you do see that it's that. a mix because there is a pride in it saying like okay I'm here but then you know I'm I'm a member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated Q. but one of our principles is uplift and so you know once I'm in the room now I'm like hey how do I lift the next person up right. now that is difficult because you you know, if I'm hiring somebody, I want to hire the best candidate. Right. So the way to do that is this internship pro- to get into people before they get into an industry is to increase that talent pool so that you can pull them up. So, but yeah, it is, it's, it's weird, man. You know, sometimes you're in that room and you just, I mean, how many times you had to swallow what you really wanted to say because you're like, man, I'm about, I'm about to make these people uncomfortable if I tell them what they just said is, is, is off. I don't do that anymore. I mean, listen, my boss is like, you know, he's, he's an industry vet. Like he knows this industry through and through and, you know, he, he runs a good ship. Um, and there's a lot of people that will just let things, go and you know for the most part you know he didn't say anything off base but you know there's times when i'm just like hey you might want to think about it this way 
and he appreciates it. And that's what people don't really, you know, think about is, is that when you're in that room, you do have a responsibility to not only try to get somebody else in the room one day, but to speak up to say, you know, if you know something is going to be um, perceived a certain way or if you perceive it a certain way, don't be afraid to say that. You may not need to say it in front of everybody else in the room. It might be a private conversation, but uh, to me, that's what it feels like. It feels like a responsibility um, to, you know, to help represent, you know, who I am. Where I come from and the people that look like me. Yeah, and I mean when I say the the fact about being proud of what you did, it's knowing that you, even in your small way, have a way to bring the next people on. For sure. Because once you go through those hard knocks, those meeting rooms where it's like I'm year one in, we don't get through this the right way. They may never even consider us again to even have a chance to come through. It's a and tough burden. Those man. internal so struggles, crazy. they are tough to be able to walk yourself that's through. Reality. Yes. Because even though it may make you yep. feel a certain kind of way in that boardroom, yep. when we step out of this lovely studio here in Vegas as a microcosm, we're going to be right back into it. So the way that you maneuver through that until you can get a position to where you feel comfortable and not even so much feel comfortable where you've not only shown improved, but you've earned that to be able to, like you said, not necessarily tell them, use a Bill Cosby reference, flum, 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 because I don't want to have to edit this, but to at least be able to say to them, hey, this doesn't necessarily work right. This mm-hmm. is the way that people, my space, would look at these kind of things. To get that level of confidence in your journey, be it in entertainment, be it in academia, be it in insurance, whatever your space is, when you are some of the first you know, trailblazers in that space, that's some of the hardest journey. And I do look forward to having one of those moments where we can get as many of our brethren like that because the one thing I respect about y'all two and the crew that we you know keep in line with, we're a lot of twos and fews in our space. Mm-hmm that have created more of a voice for others. And that is something that we're going to put together on a video treatment with audio just to talk with these good brothers from around the country that are some of the twos and fews because we, again, have to be able to give some of these folks an idea that it's okay. That's what we put it. It's okay to be, it's Mm -hmm. okay to want something outside of the traditional things that they tell you this is the only thing that we're allowed to be able to see and be able to do. But they can't do that if they haven't heard some of the hard knock along that way and just some of the things that you might have heard off color to get you to that point. Yeah. You know, because I'm pretty sure, you know, once we hit the millionth episode, Mark, and, you know, I'm getting that revenue in like Joe Rogan. Oh, some of the uh, edited stories are going to be classic. I I can't wait. I can't wait. So y'all help me on the other side to get to that number so we can drop some raw material. Marcus, your thoughts as far as with that? being in those spaces yeah i mean i think you guys hitting the nail on the head i mean you know with great reward comes great responsibility right and and you know peace uncle ben (laughs) and still uh you know still you know we understand right now whether it's you know right it's not was not right but you know wrong and different you know right now we still get all judged together right Mm -hmm. so you know when when one of us make it we feel like we all make it right yeah at that same, you know, on the same flip side, when one of us messes up, you know, for whatever reason, we either feel like we all mess up or they tell us that we just all messed up. Right. Yeah. So, you know, with those positions of power comes great reward, but also comes great responsibility. And you feel that, too. You know, I've talked to, you know, other people in my industry, you know, athletic directors that are at big time institutions. I've talked specifically about that. And they, they understand that the responsibility that comes with that. Like I said, whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, there is a little bit of a level of that where you feel like you're, you, you know, you're kind of carrying your people a little mm-hmm. bit on your back. So, so you know, I mean, you, you, you know, you get a little bit more cognizant of that, but you guys hit the nail on the head. 
head. I mean, it's all about how are you helping position the next generation to have a little bit of an easier path for you, right? Like, I mean, it's the, you guys seen the new LeBron commercial, right? Where, yeah. you know, he talks about, you know, you hear all these stories of people coming from humble beginnings and yeah. overcoming the odds. But then he says at the end, like, what if there were no more ever what if there were never any more humble beginnings right so mm -hmm. how can we help that next generation where they maybe don't have to go through all the obstacles that you know people before us before us did or people that are currently doing so i mean i think we all take that you know very very serious and you know a lot of pride in that all right obviously i can keep sitting there talking with these good fine gentlemen for hours on end but we do know this recording is going on on Christmas Eve, and all three of us at the table still have just a little bit more shopping to yeah, do. Yeah, I ain't all the way uh, done, man. I got to go. Oh, no, the, <laughs> the gift cards are about to start flowing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's oh, that yeah. time where, like, nothing's going to be in the store ready to ride. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, whatever you guys get now, Merry Christmas, it's going to be a gift card. Anybody for today. One question that I do have for you before we get out of here. Who is the better Uno player, you or Marcus? I'm going to be honest with y'all, man. Like, we haven't played in a long time, but back when we were kids, it was easily me. I was the best in the family. It's not even a question. Like, but we haven't played in years. I recall playing a lot and winning a lot because I remember the tension terms you would throw when you lost. He's a horrible loser, by the way. One of the worst in the history. Yeah, I just didn't do I didn't lose a lot, so <laughs> so you don't know I mean, how to really handle it. You know, yeah, it's like tough. the one time out of six and a half months that I might lose to him or something, I yeah. I, I responded differently. Yeah. So but we haven't happens. played as adults. I would love to play you now to see what happens, but you know, we got to go over those rules again because I haven't played as much. Yeah, he would always have different rules. Like, you'd be doing something. He's like, no, 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 no. You can put the three and the six right back to back, even if they're different colors, because three times two equals six. Like, oh, what do you mean? See, I know that there's, like, there was an article came out with the real Jeez. rules of Uno are here now. Was it really? Yeah, and probably most folks ain't going to listen to that because black households, Uno, a certain yeah. way. You oh, yeah. Like space. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everybody got their own particular house rules and they ain't yeah. really necessarily the same rules that are actually with the actual rule book. Yeah. You know. What does um, that mean? <laughs> Why to make a rule book for what? We figured it out. Marcus, this question I'll throw to you first, being the younger brother as we wrap up. In three words, how could you describe your brother? Three words. Um, man, you hit me with a lot. Um, you got to give him some medicine in the candy before you get out of here, <laughs> baby. It's the holidays. Caring, passionate, and successful. Cares about everything that he does. Cares about people. Passionate about what he does. He's obviously very successful. Good, uh, good looking. You know all that stuff too. Yeah, well, you could, you know, jeans, yeah, that's going all. That's that. family pride there. That's the bloodline. Now, big bro, now you got mm -hmm. the pressure of going on back. Three things that would describe your younger brother: mm. uh, leader, consistent. Like, well, let's, say, let's say reliable, because it doesn't matter. He's going to be. He's marked. Uh, and then, honestly, fun, because like you know, my brother is basically my best friend. So you know, we've been best friends for. We weren't always best friends, but not that we fought or anything. But we just weren't. But. In our, as we've grown, we've become best friends. And so, man, he, he leads. Uh, he's always been a leader from, from jump. I mean, even when you, when you go back to high school basketball, he played with four of the guys that played D1 ball that you probably say were all better than him in basketball, but they all looked to Marcus whenever it came down to it. You know, up to today, being a senior associate AD. You know, he's reliable. People depend on Marcus. Everything from, uh, hey, could you hook me up with tickets to this, to we go on a trip every summer. They're looking at Marcus, hey, man, you can go ahead and plan this trip. Yeah, you're the I plan it too, but he does <laughs> yeah, more heavy. We're the co-coordinators, man. <laughs> that was the big yeah. brother part right there. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> a little bit of me too. So, um, you know, and, and so he's just reliable in that sense. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's fun, man. Like, just never had a dull moment with my brother. Well, I can appreciate it, man. You know, and it's unfortunate that you're in Dallas because we need to do this more often. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, I mean, well, apparently, it's like I said, I come to Vegas all the time. So you just, you know, next time I'm here, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, because Mark, be he, he's a reoccurring guest now on the pod. So, you know, I ain't got to, you know, 
Tillman how many times we appreciate him taking time. I appreciate out you. you know, not only talking yeah. about his journey, but also being such a brand ambassador for UNLV. Shout and out to Old Man. City. Old yeah. Man Ashley for this connection. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. to Old Man Ashley, because that's why we're all sitting over here at this yeah. table, while he out there freezing his ass off in Juarez, New Mexico. Juarez. Albuquerque. Might as well be Juarez. I love the 505, though. Shout out to him. Salute to my people in the 505. Uh, some of the best things that I've seen, some of the best things that I've done been in the 505. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, how can good folks get a hold of you to be able to, to continue on your journey or maybe potential you know, sponsors to the UNLV movie? Yeah, man, just, you know, we're all on social media, or at least I am, Marcus Bowl 24 Twitter, Instagram, all the good stuff, man. Just continue trying to fight the good fight, man. All right, Julian. Yeah, just follow me on Instagram at JM underscore Bowman. Kept it very professional on my new Instagram name. As you know, the original is still my Twitter name, Juby Smooth. But anyway, uh, follow me on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. I just said it, Juby Smooth. And, um, you know, just, just keep an eye on what we're doing in Dallas at Fair Park, man. It's going to be different. It's going to be a lot. I mean, so. we're, we're, we're expecting huge things here in the next decade. So be on the lookout. Well, you know, uh, rapper rewards do travel. And if it sounds like something that's worth the travel, I mean, I can make my way to DFW. Okay. Uh, make sure y'all keep tuning in, listen, and follow at For The Taste Show. And for some reason, somebody jacked that name on Twitter. So it's show underscore taste on the, the Twitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, BK Norris 13 and Mr. Duncan 4. Last thing before we get out, happy holidays. And we'll just leave it that way verse. Well, you know what? Happy uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't believe in any of it, happy Happy Yo Day. <laughs> and if we don't catch you until the new year, Merry New Year to everybody. Be yeah. blessed. Be safe. Until the next time we catch up with y'all. For Bino, CJ signing out. Yep, that's it.